Well, do please keep your Bibles open there uh, if you're following along and uh, having a look at uh, chapter 2 and 3 of Matthew. Uh, as we prepare to do that, let's pray. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise you uh, and thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word, the Bible, we learn all we need to know about you. We learn all we need to know about how to live as your people. We learn how it is uh, that we are to follow your son, Jesus. Help us as we read today to understand what we read and help us to be uh, growing uh, in maturity as followers of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What gift would you give a king? Uh, if you were invited to the birthday party for a king or a queen, for that matter, how would you prepare for the visit? And what gift would you bring to show proper honour and respect? What do you give someone who already has such wealth and power? Kings and queens have received some interesting gifts over the years. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 10 tells us when the Queen of Sheba visited King Solomon. She gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of spices and precious stones. It says there, never again were so many spices brought in as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. I don't know how many spices a king needs, but the Queen of Sheba took a guess and said, well, truckloads <laughs> or chariot loads, maybe something like that. Uh, in New Year, 1532, Anne Boleyn gave King Henry VIII an exotic set of richly decorated Pyrenean boar spears. Uh, I guess he did enjoy hunting. Uh, the king refused another gift, <laughs> a gold cup sent to him by his wife, Catherine of Aragon. Uh, queen Elizabeth has received some very interesting gifts during her life. The government of Brazil gave her two pet sloths on her state visit there in 1968. Uh, on her wedding day, some years before she became queen, the Australian government gave Elizabeth and the Duke of Edinburgh 500 tins of canned pineapple. I don't know why. Uh, maybe, maybe we thought it would prepare her well to become queen, I'm not sure. Lots of pineapple upside-down cake in the palace after the wedding. When the Magi visited King Jesus, uh, as we read earlier, they gave gifts befitting royalty and less strange than tinned pineapple. They gave gold, frankincense and myrrh. Uh, none of us have ever seen any frankincense and myrrh, I, I'd guess, but we, we get the gist that those are appropriate gifts for a king. Uh, Matthew's Gospel shows us Jesus, the long-awaited king who, as we saw last week, is born to save his people from their sin who calls his people to follow him as he takes his place as the king of God's heavenly kingdom. Uh, Jesus is God's saviour king who has all the authority and power to do what he says he will do. Uh, the first four chapters of the book are establishing this identity and authority of Jesus as saviour, as king, as the son of God. Uh, and then much of the book, uh, much of the gospel throughout uh, shows us this authoritative figure, uh, calling people to follow him, uh, teaching them how to live as his disciples, as his followers. By the end of the book, and, and we've, we've looked at the Great Commission earlier this year, I'm going to read it again in a moment, Jesus declares his authority and his presence with his disciples 
as they obey the command to go and, and make disciples and call others to follow King Jesus. Uh, I'll read it again, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus says to his disciples, all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The whole uh, entire gospel uh, of Matthew has been called by some commentators a manual of discipleship. Uh, there are five distinct sections of teaching from Jesus throughout the gospel, starting with the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll come to in a, just a few weeks. And these, these passages, and indeed the whole gospel, help us to see what it means to follow and submit to King Jesus. They help us to grow as disciples of Jesus. They help us to help our fellow Christians grow as, as followers of Jesus. And they help us to call others to follow Jesus too, to know how to do that, to call others to submit to the rule of this all-powerful Saviour King. Last week, last week we looked at how uh, Matthew's genealogy introduces the Saviour King. Jesus' birth is the fulfilment of the, the promises of God to send a king who would establish the throne of his kingdom forever uh, and who would save his people. And Jesus is that Saviour King that the people had been looking forward to for so long and had been promised centuries before. Uh, today, as we continue into chapter 2 and 3 of Matthew, we'll focus on Jesus as King of God's kingdom. Uh, and we'll focus on what our response to him ought to be. Uh, after Matthew briefly announces the birth of Jesus at the end of chapter 1, he skips all of the details of the angels and the shepherds that we find in Luke, and he moves directly to the visit of the Magi uh, some uh, 6 to 12 months later. Uh, uh, commentators uh, uh, estimate. By the time that these foreign visitors arrive, uh, the newborn king, <laughs> it could well have been a, a toddler. Uh, and it's amazing that apart from the brief visit of the shepherds that we hear about in Luke, Jesus' birth and his very early life as the king of God's eternal kingdom, the, the presence of this little one who is God with us, has gone largely unnoticed by the people he came to. Among the first to come to worship the newborn king of the Jews are not Jews at all, but Gentiles. Uh, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 2. Follow along with me there. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who, had been bo who, who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now on these two verses and the, the verses that follow, this, this account of the visit of the Magi, uh, heaps and heaps of ink has been spilled. There's, there's heaps of argument and speculation over the details of this story. Who exactly were the Magi? Uh, the Magi may be short for magicians or astrologers, wise men they're often called. Uh, where were they from? Babylon? Persia, perhaps the Arabian desert, what exactly was the star that prompted them to come and how exactly did they know this was a sign of the birth of this king? Uh, these are questions that are constantly argued about uh, and, and there are no definite answers to, no great consensus among scholars. 
Uh, and so I'm not going to spend any time today trying to answer those questions. Feel free to more, read more about that at another time. What we have here is, is God guiding these significant people to uh, visit his newborn son for a specific reason. Uh, what Matthew's narrative highlights for us is the contrast between these Gentiles from a faraway place keen to worship this new king and the response of the Jewish people themselves, apparently either apathetic or violently opposed to the birth of this new king. King Herod, the king of Judea, installed by the Romans at the time, uh, he was probably a fairly good king according to history and the fact that he provided well for his people, but he was also a violent king who held on to his power by violent means. And King Herod is disturbed by this news. Uh, we have an immediate clash of kingdoms as this question is asked. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the Magi ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? King Herod is disturbed. Uh, an immediate clash of kingdoms here. Uh, and Herod must be thinking, wait a minute, I'm the king of the Jews. <laughs> uh, we saw last week and we'll see again today. Matthew shows Jesus fulfilling scripture. Herod calls the priests and teachers of the law to find out just where this king might have been born. And they produce the passage in Micah, uh, from Micah chapter 5. It's quoted there in Matthew 2 verse 6. But you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus is the ruler, the shepherd promised by God, and he would indeed come from Bethlehem. Uh, Herod calls the Magi back in private and he asks them when this star appeared. Why does he want to know this? Well, information is power and he needs to gather information. Worst comes to worst and it, he needs to know the age limit to tell his soldiers when he sends them to kill all the potential candidates in Bethlehem. Uh, he wants to know who his rival is so that he can deal with him. He pretends to wish to worship the king as well and he sends the Magi off with a request that they return and tell him where he can find this new king uh, himself. And, and so apparently unaware of Herod's scheming, the Magi, they have their answer and they set off to find this king to worship him. It doesn't say that anyone else goes with them. The priests and teachers of the law aren't mentioned again. Apparently all of Jerusalem were disturbed along with King Herod at the news of a newborn king but no one was disturbed enough to go with the Magi to see him. Again, a striking contrast between the Jewish and Gentile response to this news. Pay homage to this king. Uh, chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, Mary and Joseph aren't in the barn anymore, and Jesus isn't a, isn't a baby in a manger when the, the Magi arrived, despite what so many Christmas cards would have you believe. Uh, this is after Jesus' birth, and the Magi... Find this, this young boy, this infant, and his parents at home. And when they see Jesus and Mary, they bow down and they worship 
King Jesus. They physically drop to their knees and bow down before the child Jesus. They, they offer their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, precious items, beautiful items, gifts worthy of a king. Uh, the Magi, these Gentiles from a faraway land, pay homage to Jesus, while ironically the Jews, who should be right there beside them, should be just as excited to meet this, this king, well, they're either furious or oblivious or just apathetic, making no attempt to worship King Jesus. Now, the Magi probably didn't know the full significance of what they were doing. After this, they returned home, and we don't hear any more about them. Uh, there's no indication that they became disciples of Jesus if they truly understood who uh, he was. Well, surely they would have hung around or perhaps returned at a later date. Uh, but the word used for their worship of Jesus there, it describes a, a physical action, falling to your knees before someone greater. The word for worship there is, is physical, falling to your knees, falling down before someone greater than you, worshipping them. It's, it's used throughout Matthew and the New Testament to describe the response people have to Jesus when they do realise who he is. Uh, it's the word used in Matthew chapter 28 when the disciples worship the risen Lord Jesus just before his ascension to heaven. And so while the Magi may not have realised the full significance of coming to worship this king, their actions point us to what the right response to Jesus is, despite the apathy or even hostility from Jesus' own people at the time. This is another reminder from Matthew that Jesus will fulfil God's promise to Abraham, the promise to bless all nations through him. As Gentiles today, we've heard the gospel and responded in faith and we get the chance to bend the knee and bow before Jesus too, knowing full well the significance of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Knowing full well what it means to honour Jesus with our lives. As we read this story, well, we can be warned too of the wrong response to Jesus, the kind of Apathy of, of those at the time who knew all the information they had to know about this newborn king, yet failed to go searching for him, failed to worship him as they should have. This is a kind of apathy that well, we should never let creep into our own lives as followers of Jesus. The story continues with the response of Herod to the news of the new king. And this is a response from someone who is violently opposed Jesus. Herod clearly doesn't have God's plan in mind, only his own power and authority. Uh, Herod acts impulsively and violently to protect his position as king of Judea. Uh, but God acts to save his son, King Jesus, uh, by warning the Magi and Mary and Joseph in a dream. The Magi are not to return to Herod, and so they return home another way. And Joseph is visited by an angel in a dream for the second time. I wonder if he was any less surprised this time, uh, and he's warned of Herod's plan. Chapter 2, verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and his mother and escaped to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And the gold that the Magi brought as a gift would have come in pretty handy about now. And off Mary and Joseph go with Jesus, and he is not killed by Herod's plans. <clears throat> verse 16. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, 
He was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem at its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Herod uses the information he received and gives orders for all the boys under two in Bethlehem to be killed. Uh, If he can't learn who the individual boy is, well, he'll just kill them all, and with no regard for the grief that that will cause. Verses 17 and 18. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. These are the actions of a violent tyrant. The clash of kingdoms is plain here. The violent and power-hungry King Herod versus the true king of the Jews, the one who was sent to save his people, the king of God's eternal kingdom. Jesus. Now, God's uh, saving of his son from the clutches of Herod is compared uh, in a way to his saving of his people from Egypt centuries before. Uh, See what Matthew says in verses 14 and 15. When Joseph flees with his family, verses 14 and 15. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, Israel is often referred to as God's son in the Old Testament. The end of verse 15 there is a quote from Hosea, talking about God's love in saving his people from slavery in Egypt. Uh, It's in going to Egypt that Jesus is saved from death by Herod's soldiers, and God will call him back from there after Herod's death, and he'll live safely until the time comes to fulfill his mission. Ironically, his mission is to be killed by his own people and rise again. Herod's plan to kill Jesus actually mirrors what will eventually happen to him, but not yet. God is in control here, not Herod. God saves the king. Sounds like the title of a national anthem. And when he's ready, he brings Joseph, Mary and Jesus back to Judea. Uh, God appears to Joseph in a dream again, must have been getting pretty familiar to Joseph by now, and tells him it's safe to go back to Israel. And back they go, and they finally settle in Nazareth, the hometown of Mary. The next chapter picks up the story nearly 30 years later. Uh, We're told tantalisingly little about Jesus' childhood after the events uh, of his birth, and that's, that's a reminder that the Bible, well, it's God's word, not ours. Uh, However curious we might be about things that aren't in the Bible, we are told all we need to know about Jesus in the Bible. Uh, We're told about the the miracle of his birth and the events of his life and his teaching that lead to his death and resurrection. Not that his childhood was unimportant. We have bits of information. But this jump in time highlights the purpose that this child king was saved for. Uh, Jesus could never have died during the reign of Herod because his purpose was to, as an adult, call his followers to him and give his life. To give his life after preaching the kingdom for three years and then to rise again to rule forever in heaven. Uh, And as Jesus will go about preaching the kingdom, uh, all who repent of sin and believe in him Well, they get to join that kingdom 
Uh, God's initial announcement to Joseph was that Jesus would save his people from their sins. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so, appropriately, in chapter 3, John the Baptist's announcement of the kingdom of heaven is a call to repentance uh, for forgiveness of sins. Uh, This is what is required for entrance to the kingdom of this particular king. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Follow with me there. First three verses of chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This quote from Isaiah chapter 40 is about God coming to comfort his people after the punishment of exile. Uh, God is coming, says the prophet, your sins have been paid for and God is coming to comfort you. Well, in Jesus, uh, we have Emmanuel. God with us, coming to provide the comfort of forgiven sin and the hope of a reconciled relationship with God. John the Baptist's role was to prepare the way for Jesus to come, to prepare the people for the coming of the King, and that meant preaching repentance, a turning from sin, a turning away from sin and a turning to the King of God's eternal kingdom. And that repentance, of course, needs to be genuine, The Pharisees and Sadducees come to be baptised by John and, well, he warns them against false motives. True repentance will be shown by its fruit. Chapter 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Pharisees were not saved simply by their their pedigree. Uh, Simply being an Israelite would mean nothing if their repentance were not genuine, if you if you don't truly acknowledge your sin and repent. And the same today. Well, there's no room for thinking that you can be somehow born into salvation or inherit it or just by being born into a a good church-going family. It doesn't guarantee any kind of salvation. Every person needs to be forgiven for our sin, needs to turn to follow Jesus, the King of God's kingdom. We need to follow the King of the kingdom if we're going to be in that kingdom, if we're going to be saved. Uh, Because God will one day express his wrath against sin. Sin will be judged. And the only way to be saved is to repent and rely on Jesus for forgiveness. Uh, Jesus is the one who will do all that we need. will provide the forgiveness we need to bring us into his kingdom. Uh, Verses 11 to 12. Read those again with me. Chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the shadow. The coming of God's kingdom means either repentance and salvation or judgment. 
Uh, I love John's humility here. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals, he says. And he's right. Uh, John's baptism simply prepares people for the king who is coming. Uh, It's King Jesus who gives us his spirit and who changes our hearts, who can truly cleanse us from sin so that we can be part of his kingdom. Uh, Some clear background uh, in the Old Testament to this passage uh, as well. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36. There's a promise from God here that Jesus will fulfill. Ezekiel 36 from verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's Jesus who cleanses from sin. It's only Jesus who can do that. Uh, He can cleanse us from sin because he will perfectly follow and obey his Father where we can't. And his righteousness will be given to us through faith in him. We trust in Jesus, we receive his spirit, we confess our sins, repent and turn to follow this King Jesus. We we receive his spirit and we gain entrance to his kingdom. The alternative is judgment for our sin. Uh, And John's final words in that passage illustrate God's judgment of sin, that when Jesus returns as judge, he will separate the wheat from the chaff. Uh, And the chaff, the the, the dusty waste left over after the grain is harvested, well, that will be burnt up, receives the fiery judgment while, while the wheat is gathered into the kingdom. question I asked at the start, I'll ask again, uh, what gift would you bring a king? Uh, Not 500 tins of canned pineapple, I hope. Um, Can't be as strange as it sounds. But if you were invited to royalty, how would you honour them? How would you show your appreciation? And how do you honour King Jesus? Uh, Matthew chapter 2 and 3 make it clear that the gift we are to bring is our worship. We are to honour and worship King Jesus. Uh, nothing we can bring good enough to pay for our sins, but that's okay because Jesus came with a gift for us. Uh, Jesus is doing the gift giving and the gift is salvation from sin. His spirit, a new heart, and the hope of eternal life in heaven. Our response to this glorious Saviour King then is to give him proper honour, uh, to worship him with our lives. Paul expresses this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our whole lives are to be lived in ways that honour Jesus. If he is our king, if we have put our trust in him, We live in a way that honours him and in a way that shows our gratitude for the salvation from sin that he brings. We live in ways that uh, point to him as the king over us, uh, as the king over everything. As he says in those final words to the disciples, he's received all authority in heaven and on earth. 
this is the king that we, we follow, the king that we worship. And so our whole lives are to be given in worship of him. I will learn much more of what this will look like as we step our way through Matthew. Uh, the kingdom is near. It is even now here. The kingdom has arrived with the arrival of our King Jesus. The king is on his throne and he will return one day to judge between those who do and do not follow him. So are you worshipping the king? Please pray with me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you because you are the mighty, compassionate and all-powerful God. We praise you for your grace and mercy to us in your Son, Jesus. We praise you for the gift of salvation from sin. We praise you that through, through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, his giving of his life in payment of sin, that we can be saved. Uh, we praise you for this, Lord. We praise you for the salvation that we can receive through faith in Jesus. We praise you that this king uh, did not stay dead, but uh, rose to life again and now sits forever on the throne of your heavenly kingdom. We praise you for this. We ask you to help us as we seek to follow Jesus as king. Help us to remember who he is, to remember what he has done for us and to help us to give all that we have and all that we are in worship of him. We pray all of this, Lord, for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.